You're listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. I'm Adam Risman, Content Marketing Manager at Intercom. This week, we're continuing to bring you conversations from our Inside Intercom World Tour, our recently launched event series all about what it takes to make great product. What you'll hear in this episode comes from the stage of the 19th century Cyclorama building in Boston. There, Intercom Managing Editor John Collins hosted a panel discussion with guests from three of our favorite area startups. Each guest shares insight into how to execute a successful product launch, the role of marketing in an early stage company, and how it works hand in hand with product, what's going to replace the broken app store marketplace, and much more. Panelists include Eli Rosen, VP of Customer Success at Dispatch, a platform to help businesses enter the on-demand economy by allowing their customers to find or book their service online and then track its arrival in real time. The key to building a successful product and building a successful business is from the beginning, think about how are you going to get this to people? Megan Keeney Anderson, VP of Marketing at HubSpot, a company that really needs no introduction, but if you aren't familiar, is an inbound marketing software platform that helps companies attract visitors, convert leads, and close customers. You have to start with that big idea, find your supporters, and enable those supporters to advocate for you. And Nikos Morotaikis, CEO at Workable, a hiring software and applicant tracking system for small and mid-sized businesses. So it's your choice to define what kind of marketing you're doing and how much you're doing, and just don't tell me you're not doing marketing. If you like what you hear, Check out intercom.io slash inside intercom for a full list of upcoming tour dates and ticket links. And with that, I'll hand things over to John and the panel. Thanks for coming along, guys. Um, I suppose let's, let's uh, as I say, start at the beginning. Um, product launches. Um, Megan, we, we talked before, before the panel, and you kind of feel that you know, a, lot, a lot of people get product launches wrong or they don't go about it the right way. Yeah, uh, well, so I think that a good launch has to have a foundation, right? So um, the launches that do go poorly, it's not that they fail, it's that they fizzle really fast. What they'll do is they'll take a set of features, they'll throw them up on Product Hunt, they will uh, do a bunch of promotional activities about those features, email, social media, and then launch is over. Uh, but a launch is no more about features than a presidential campaign is about candidates' resume. It's, it's about ideas, right? Uh, and so I think that the best thing to do with a launch is sort of start with the idea. Uh, I'll give you a more practical example because I know that's kind of up in the clouds. Uh, InVision. Any of you guys use InVision? Sort of a design. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I can't actually see you guys because the lights are really bright, so I appreciate all of you who just, uh, who just clapped. Um, so InVision is a collection of features. It's, it's software, but it's, uh, it's also an idea. And the idea is that design matters and that companies that are led by design and that put design first are more innovative, they do greater things, and so whenever they launch a new feature, it's based in that idea. Uh, and because of that, they have not just tactical channels, they have people, they have supporters, they have believers. And it's not that those believers are tied to those features or those products, they're tied to that idea. 
So the smartest thing that we ever did when it comes to launches is we figured out not only what our idea was, but also who our people were. And we took these strong supporters, partners, beta testers outside of our core company, and we gave them a sneak peek of everything that was rolling out probably one to two months ahead. Embargoed them um, and let them see the software, let them understand the idea we were going for, let them get indoctrinated into that idea, and then in addition to that, gave them a Dropbox of materials screens, you know, blog post ideas, things like that, so that when we launched on 9-1, they launched with us, our beta testers, our, our biggest fans, and that amplified our launch more than anything else. So I think you have to start with that big idea, find your supporters, and enable those supporters to advocate for you. Eli, I saw a product launch was mentioned, and you were kind of a bit, hmm... You're not a big believer. I mean, I suppose at Intercom, we've, we've talked about this as well. I mean, that, like, that sort of app store model of build a great product, stick it out there in, in the app store, or hope to get it on Product Hunt, is not necessarily going to be the key to success and long life and happiness. But I mean, in, in terms of what you guys are doing to dispatch, I mean, you have a very different way of getting the product into people's hands. Yeah, uh, our, our way of getting into people's hands is really, f we focused on integrations. And that was really our key. We, we looked at our product, and we looked at our, mar our market, and we really focused on how do we get our product as many people by focusing on those distribution channels. And so we built from the beginning, from the first moment we had our first wireframe, from the first moment we built our product, we were focused on how are we going to get this to people. And that was the key to, I think, to our success so far. And I think the key to building a successful product and building a successful business is from the beginning, think about how are you going to get this to people? And what is going to be our, our strategy? And you can't think of... Uh, you can't, it's marketing and your distribution is not an afterthought and, and a strategy. Putting your app up on Product Hunt is not a strategy. Saying I'm going to put it in the App Store is not a strategy. You need to build from the first moment that you build your product, you have to build with that distribution channel in mind and build specifically for that distribution channel. So you've gone after people with big networks. And, and exactly. And so to give a little more detail about that, so we actually uh, this year... We're going to do a few million dollars in revenue. We last month did 100,000 jobs. We're growing 25% month over month. And we've actually have not done an, an ounce of marketing. We actually have negative marketing because uh, if you look at our website, it actually doesn't talk about what we do. That's <laughs> partly strategic, partly just because it wasn't a focus of ours. And so the way, what we focused on was going after large, large networks of providers of, through what we would call a job aggregator. So somebody who has a network of third parties where they're constantly sending jobs. And we built our product from the beginning of how are we going to distribute our product through these distribution channels so that we can get it to the most number of people. So instead of going bottoms up for the whole market, we went top down. We said, where, where can we sign a few deals get access to a network of tens of thousands of providers. And, and that's what we did. That's what we executed on. And that's how we've had this like, literally meteoric growth over the past really two years. And so, and again, it's because we, when we built the product, we thought about first, how are we going to get this to people, not build it and then think, okay, how are we going to get it out there? Nikos, one of, I suppose one of the things also we hear very much at the early stage is this whole concept of MVP, and it's been mentioned already. It's much debated. Like, how useful do you think it is as, as a concept? I mean, do you think it's, it's helping startups at this stage? I mean, I think that the whole theory around building the MVP and iterating and, you know, falling, I think it's a nice methodology that tries to get you the message that you need to follow what customers want and, you know, it's trying to get you on rails to build something that the market wants. The problem, in my opinion, has been taken a little bit too far. 
And, you know, it's not a blind rail that you can follow. Um, especially in B2B. In B2B, there's a certain expectation of, a, you know, of you know, so some kind of functionality, that some jobs that this thing needs to do. So you're going to get a payment system, for example. You know, it can't just, like, do one simple thing. It needs to do refunds or they do this and that. So I think that the concept of the MVP as it's applied to consumer products, and it might be useful, uh, needs to be stretched a little bit, especially for B2B startups. I mean, you really need to have some vision of what this thing needs to be good for, what are the main jobs that you're going to hire the product to do for you, um, and you need, really need to push on, because if you really follow the Eric Rice uh, Lean Startup methodology, I think you'll end up with something that isn't a minimum sellable product, and then you're just going to get thrown off by user feedback. I'm not saying not, not listen to users, but, you know, pause a little bit. You know, give it some time before you actually um, uh, listen to users. I, I know it's a controversial idea, and, like, it's a heresy to say that, you know, you know you're not going to do MVP and customer feedback at the beginning. Uh, I think in B2B, it's, it's worth being a little bit more deliberate about what you're willing. Yeah, uh, be opinionated in your product. Opinionated, yes. Okay, I, I think, yeah... Any product needs to be opinionated to a certain extent because it cannot be everything to everyone. Again, that should have its limit. There's a difference between being opinionated about, like, you know, we're going to be good at this, not good at something else. It's not good when this... You know, engineering teams sometimes misapprehend <laughs> this concept. Like, we're opinionated, so we can do whatever we want. Oh, you don't like this button? No, it has to be like that. This is the way we do it. Yeah. That's condescension. That's not being opinionated. So, yes, opinionated, yes. Condescending, no. And there's a very fine line between the two in product design. What's, what's your take on that, Megan? I mean, has, like at HubSpot, I mean, have you ever had, it, like, in terms of products where you've, you know, not had the flexibility or had issues with that in terms of being, a, like, the product forcing people to do things a certain way? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think a product has to have a point of view. And I think that that's important for a couple of different reasons. One is that it prevents feature creep, right? So it prevents you, to your point, from trying to be all things to all people. And every time a new request comes in, just building that because a big customer wanted it. Um, and that's incredibly important. And I think the other angle there is it gives you a bit of a competitive advantage, right? So it kind of goes back to that idea of having... A story or having a reason to be there, a philosophy with your technology. I think that when we ask people why they chose HubSpot over Marketo or Eloqua or any number of different marketing software, it's a very crowded field um, that we're swimming in. That's You don't swim in fields. Uh, <laughs> my team knows that I, I mix metaphors all the time. But just, let's just say that you swim in fields for a moment. Uh, we're, we're in a very crowded one. And I think that without having a point of view, not just about how, you know, the software should be, but also about how you should market or, or what the right way is to attract customers to your brand, that combination differentiates you from the other people in the field. Uh, now, one thing that you said that I think is really important, though, is that there is a fine line between having a point of view and being condescending and being too limiting. And so I think that there's something to that and you kind of have to make sure that that point of view is rooted in something. It's not just, I like the button here or I feel like our customers don't know what they're talking about and I want to tell them. It's got to be rooted in your understanding of what your customers are experiencing and that's how you stay true to that line, I would say. Yeah, I mean, at Intercom, we very much use jobs to be done to, to guide that kind of, like, we think about the job and then that, yeah. that's why we're, do, we're doing it. Eli, what's, I mean, your sort of customers are probably in quite traditional kind of industries and probably don't take kindly to 
software companies coming along telling them this is the way we think you should do it better? Yeah, yeah, we've had actually sort of an opposite approach to product. So we, I guess when we started a couple of years ago, we thought, oh, we're going to go disrupt this industry. We're going to help everyone in the service, in the workforce management. So basically our customers basically are plumbers and electricians managing all of their work. And so a lot of them are, are use paper and post-it notes. And so we thought, we're going to bring them software, and we're going to show them that this is how you have to manage your work. And we're going to show them the better way to do that. And our, and our software it was, was very what we called opinionated. It was like, this is how you should do it, and there's one way to do it, and this is the best way because... I don't know. That's the way we decided was the best way. And um, what we found, and we're now you know, re-approaching, re and we're about to release a total revision to our software, which is not opinionated at all. It's incredibly flexible. And what we found is like that's, that's the key to, to really building a product that is going to last, and a product that people and uh, uh, companies of all different sizes and all different backgrounds are going to use. And so there's a lot of different ways to do something. There's a lot of different ways to create a job. There's a lot of different ways to schedule a technician. There's a lot of different ways to do things. And the more flexible our software is, the more useful it will be to people. Because I think if you, if you were to take a survey of the way everyone here uses a Gmail, I think everyone uses it differently. Yet, And I think that's what makes it so successful. That's what makes it such an everlasting tool that we all live in because it allows you to manage your work, it allows you to manage your, your day the way that you want to. And I think, uh, so that's, and that's a philosophy we've recently adopted at Dispatch, and so far, so far it's working. Cool. You're listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. A message written for everyone resonates with no one. Learn how to craft personal targeted messages at intercom.com engage. Greg started the evening talking about uh, marketing and I suppose how marketing has evolved at, at Intercom. A trend I hear a lot is, or just something I hear a lot from, from startups is, oh, we're not doing marketing yet. You know, we're, uh, we haven't started marketing. We're just focusing on the product and the product's going to get out there and sell itself, I suppose, or, or market itself. I'd love to hear your, your views on that, maybe, Megan, as a, a VP of marketing. What, what, what do you think of that? I have no opinions whatsoever on that. Uh, no, I'm actually like really fervent on this whole area. I think that marketing and product have to grow up together. I have worked at companies where the product has been further out than marketing, and I've worked at companies where the marketing has been far ahead of the product. And I think what ends up happening in those situations is it works for a little bit, and then eventually the other half is tripping themselves to catch up. And your experience, your business, your growth suffers as a result. So a couple of, actually three years ago now, we made the decision to move our entire product marketing team away from the rest of the marketing team and to embed them with the engineers that were actually building the software. A couple of things happened as a result. One, they, they all started finally getting the inside jokes, which was nice. Two, though, they started to conduct the, and to build the story as the software was being developed. And so that meant that they were understanding the motivation behind why PM or an engineer was making a certain choice. And there were times when a PM would hear the story that was developing and make a shift to fit that story because they felt like it, it fit the idea, you know, and it, it reflected where the customer needs were. And so that kind of codependency really made for a stronger product. Uh, the other side of that, of course, is just beyond storytelling. So let's, let's say that you think that I'm a total idealist and you think storytelling and, and having like a narrative is for Nancy's and you're not bought into this. The really practical reason here is analytics, tracking. 
If you're going to market a product, being able to build that stuff in from the ground floor as it's being developed so you know what are the trigger points of customer behavior, of user behavior within that product that indicate one thing or another that could also be a trigger point for future marketing. So I think if they don't grow up together, you're always playing catch up. Nikos, you're a, an engineer by trade, so obviously you're totally skeptical about marketing, I presume. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I, actually, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> uh, although I'm an engineer by trade, but I can understand that, especially in the early days, you can develop this fantasy that marketing is like something, a separate thing that we're going to do later, classic thing. We're growing 10% a month and we're doing no marketing. Well, how are you growing 10% a month then? The moment you have a product out there and you have a conversation with, uh, with users, whichever form that takes, it can be support, it can be absolutely anything, this is marketing. So it's your choice to define what kind of marketing you're doing and how much you're doing, and just don't tell me you're not doing marketing. Um, and I, I know for myself, I, in the beginning, I felt like if I'm not paying someone else, some, somebody external, something for it, it isn't marketing. That's just stuff that we do. And actually, the, <laughs> the best marketing was the stuff that we did. Um, so, yeah, I agree completely. Marketing needs to be built into the product itself. We are a large, well, also, we're a very self-service company, so we kind of have to uh, do this. I'm not saying the product selling itself, but unless you understand what you're selling, why you build it, you know, how are you going to even you know, tell people what it is? Well, what's, what's been successful for Workable in that regard in, ter in terms of, like, sorry, as you say, trying to build marketing into the, into the product? Like, what kind of tactics have... Well, the, the, the thing with Workable is that, you know, 82% of our customers have never spoken to anyone before buying the product. So it's a largely self-service um, system. And sometimes marketing is very hardcore engineering things that you wouldn't classify as marketing normally. So if you post a job in Workable and we can find that quickly or an automated manner that there's something wrong with it and we can fix it for you and you get, you get a nice message about it, we consider that marketing. Okay. Um, in, in the same way that most self-service businesses consider marketing the ability for you to actually get value out of the product and for us to communicate that for you and, and to show you how to do this. They call it customer success, they call it whatever. I call all of these things <laughs> marketing, uh, um, essentially, because it is the conversation with the customer. Um, in, in our case, um, what has worked tremendously well is what you would normally classify as content marketing, but with a bit of a twist. We don't write about our industry so much. We don't write about, you know, educate you. But we produce what we call utilitarian content around the jobs that you need to do when you're about to do them. So you want to hire someone, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to write a job description. So, you know, we went out and wrote like 500 job description templates. And so your first contact with the software would be when you actually get some value, something that you're going to use. And accidentally, this is the exact moment when you would like to buy a software like that. So. It's a non-traditional way of doing uh, content marketing, um, but it's very wound up with the product. Sometimes the product team says, you know what, we're not going to develop that. You know, this, somebody can buy this content and it's actually going to work as marketing. Yeah. Eli, as VP of Customer Success, I'm sure you have an opinion on another talk we heard earlier. Sabrina's talk about how customer success or support should work with, with the product team. I mean, what's your, what's your relationship like with your VP of product? Yeah. Um, Not that this is like an analyst couch or anything, but just. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, uh, I firmly believe that if your head of product 
and your head of customer success or whatever you call your customer-facing team aren't constantly yelling at each other, your company's going to fail. And I believe that uh, truly. And I think if you ever came to dispatch, you would think that we all hate each other because uh, really all we do all day is it's yelling. Uh, it's a lot of yelling. And, um, you know, it's, and it's, from the outside, it seems crazy. It seems like these guys are, are just like running around and they're nuts. Um, but our head of product and myself are actually really good friends. His, our head of product's wife delivered my first child. So we hang out on the weekends. We carpool together. We, like, we're really, truly, uh, really great friends and we truly respect each other. Uh, but in the office, you would never know that. And it's because, you know, uh, I, I really, um, Sabrina's slide with the shipping the poop emojis really, <laughs> really resonated with me a little bit because um, you have the, you know, the, the products team, they're incentivized to just keep shipping. They want to ship, ship some product, then move on to the next really interesting project and then move on to the next thing. And the engineers also just want to build cool stuff and they love to just push it out onto the users. And they don't always think about all the different pieces of the onboarding or the the launch or the other different educational aspects of it. Um, and then you have the customer success team, which is kind of stuck with supporting that. And so there's this constant tension between we want to move faster and we want to ship things versus we want to make sure our users are happy and we don't want to have to deal with this like crazy support volume uh, spike. And so we're constantly, uh, I guess, bumping heads be between I guess the different incentives that everyone has, like they want to do things that are bleeding edge and super cool. And we want things that are really simple and, and that uh, your plumber who has like, you know, never used a cell phone before I could figure out how to use. And so we're constantly, constantly at each other's throats about what is the best experience. And, and, and don't get me wrong that you shouldn't go start yelling at everyone in your company. But what, what I, I mean is that like, there's this passion and there's this, all we're all trying to do is provide the best experience for the user, and we might have different views about what that is, and I think that's actually great. And I think that helps us refine what we ship. I think it helps us refine what the product is, and I think it helps us refine what are the goals, what are the business problems we're trying to help our users solve. And so I think that contentious relationship is, is necessary and, and really healthy. Okay, time is catching up on us, so it's my, my last question. Uh, the point of this tour is to talk about, I suppose, building and, and growing great products. Um, if I could put to the three of you, like, what are the characteristics, the, the really important characteristics of a great product, maybe, versus just a, a good product? Nikos, you looked at me first, so you'll have to answer first. Pick the wrong seat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's a very hard question. If I knew the characteristics, so, you know, I'll, then I'll be doing better than I am. Um, I guess... I guess the characteristic of a great product team is that they have empathy and understand users. Ultimately, the characteristic of a great product is that it, it actually gets the job done for a user, well, at least in the B2B sense. Um, but, you know, then it depends. You know, what gets the job done means for a big company or small company is, is radically different. But I, for me, from a product manager's perspective, what you're trying to do is to build enough empathy with the users to be able to understand what really is going to make them happy. I know it's a very evasive and vague answer, but there isn't one. Megan? Uh, so Clay Shirky has this really good line from years ago now uh, that is, uh, technology doesn't get really interesting until it becomes almost invisible, which is to say it's so intuitive that you don't even notice what it's doing for you. 
I would, by the way, venture to say the same thing for marketing, which is why when you see a lot of companies right now talking about no marketing or very light marketing, I think, you know, to your point, what they're talking about is nearly invisible marketing. And I think you could probably say the same for all sorts of different divisions within a company. When a company is working really well for its customers and its users, they're not in the way they're enabling. Uh, so in the products that I use, in the products that I try to work for and represent, I really value products that are so good they're damn near invisible. Eli? I don't really think uh, there's like one or two or every, any number of things that you can say about building a great product, and, and this may sound blasphemous at a, at a product chat, but I don't really believe in building great products. I think what you really want to do is build a great businesses. And your product is really just a vehicle for building a business. And I think, you know, I, I, in a former life, I was a product manager, and you get really caught up in, like, building this great product and shipping this great product, and everything has to be great about the product. But your, the software that you ship is really just a really small part of your overall business. And, and, and the world doesn't need more products. There's millions of products out there. What we, what we really truly need is, is really more businesses. And so the key to building a good quote-unquote product is really whatever it is that's going to help you build your business. And you can't think about product. Product isn't just the product team. Your whole company is your, is your product, is the thing that people use. Um, you know, product isn't, you know, on the day that you ship the code, that's actually day one or day zero. It's, it's everything that happens after that. And in, and in product, sometimes we tend to forget that. And um, so I really, I don't, I don't really have a good answer, but I think it's really all about whatever it is that you can do to build a, build a better business. Okay, thanks very much. Can you give it up for our startup panel? Thanks very much, guys. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.